0: I want to start a series, two-week series, and so this is a two-part message. It's not a completely different message next week's a two-part message. Um, first part this week, second part next week, and, um, and, it's, and it's called The Issue is Worship. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because worship is the main issue in all of our lives. It is the thing that we were created to do, and if we don't resolve the issue of worship in our lives then it becomes problematic in every area of our life because we all worship something. Some people worship their careers. Some people worship their wives. Some wives uh, worship their husbands. How come you laughed at that but not guys worshipping their wives? Some people worship their cars. Some people worship all sorts of things. And if we don't settle the issue of worship, we really don't understand what worship is all about, and it's not just what we just did for the last 15 or so minutes, worship is way more than that, then it will, it will really be a problem in every area of our life. And so I'm just going to read you a story. We're going to go through four um, pieces of Scripture, um, and then I'm going to break that down for you, and we're going to talk about these four pieces of Scripture over the next two weeks. Are you ready? First Chronicles. Chapter thirteen, verse one to three says, "This David consulted with all his officials of thousands and hundreds, including the generals and captains of his army, and with every leader. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel—that's mean the whole country of Israel—as follows: If you approve, and if it is the will of our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns." And pasture lands, let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. Verse seven of chapter 13 says, they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. Verse nine, but when they arrived at the flesh, threshing the floor of Sidon, the oxen stumbled and Uraz reached out his hand to steady the ark and the Lord's anger was aroused against him and he struck him dead because he had laid his hands on the ark. How many people think that sounds really harsh and you've really never understood why God did that? Cool, come next week you'll find out, I'm not telling you this week. So he died there in the presence of God. Verse 12, David was now afraid of God, funny that. (laughs) And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Love Obed-Edom, read up about him, Um, he's awesome. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom Obed-Edom's house for three months and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. You see, David, this story is really about David and David uh, wrote most of the Psalms and, and if anybody has had an influence on what worship has been in history and what worship is today and what worship will be in the future to come, it's David. David is—he's uh, like the master of worship, right? And he wrote virtually all the psalms, and it's just really all around worship. It's where a lot of worship songs have been written from over the years. And when David became king, he set out to implement the true worship of God for people. Prior to that, it was only the priests and stuff like that. But David. David really changed things up if you read this story about us because David understood something that God has created us as worshippers first. First and foremost before you, anything else, God has created you as a worshipper and that's why the issue of worship is so important because worship is actually our purpose. Do you know that? Worship is actually our purpose. It's what we were created to do. In fact, the church, the number one responsibility of the church, that's the ecclesia, the gathering together of us, the number one responsibility calling to Scripture of the church is to worship. It is the first and foremost thing. It is not go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's important, but it's not the number one priority Of the church. The number one priority of the church, of you and I, is worship because worship is our purpose. How do we know that worship is our purpose? Because the scripture teaches us that all of creation, and we are created in His image, all of creation was created to worship Him. The, The trees, the rocks, if we don't worship Him, the Bible says that even the rocks will cry out and worship all of creation. Everything created was created to worship Him. And the issue of worship is so great that we can't just kind of push it to one side. And you're probably here, and if you've been around church long enough, you're like, man, I've heard so many messages on worship. I'm probably going to tune out today. Don't tune out. Don't push worship aside. It's not optional. Worship is not optional. It's what we're created to do. It's not something that lives on the outskirts of our faith that we only practice on a Sunday for about 15 to 20 minutes in a service it is actually central to our faith. It is the core of our faith is that we are created to worship God. All of creation was created to worship God. Yes, we wanna have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, we, wanna, we, want, we love that God came and died on the cross and forgives us of all our sins, but our natural response to all of that should be worship. It's the central concept of Scripture is that if the issue of worship in our lives has not been settled about what we worship, why we worship, and how we worship, then everything else in our lives will be out of kilter. If, if we don't understand the, the, the importance of, the, of worship being the central part of our lives, every other part of our lives goes out of kilter. Well, how do you, how do you know that, Craig? Because it says so in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 22 says this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. You see, when you don't worship him, you you come up with these concepts about what you think God is. We see that in the world today. God is love, so God would never reject anybody or anything. Well, you don't know God. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And the rest of Romans chapter 1 goes on to talk about all the different sins that they got into, from lying to just all sorts of sexual crazy stuff to murder. And You go and read it. You go and read Romans chapter 1 and he just talks about all the crazy sin and crazy stuff that they got into And the problem was right there in verse 21 where it says they refused to worship God and so they made up in their own minds what they thought God was like and then went around doing whatever they wanted. The issue that led to all the sinful behaviour in the rest of Romans chapter 1 is because they hadn't settled the issue of worship. What God has called us to be is worshippers. And what God has called us to do is worship. Don't get me wrong, we we do have other things that we're meant to do, right? So, for example, I'm called to preach. Right? That's that's what God's called me to do. But can I say this? That if man had never sinned, there'd be no need for preachers. If man had never sinned, there'd be no need for preachers. But there will always be a need for worshippers. Worship was always the centre of everything. If we lived, if Jesus came back today and made everything perfect and amazing and fantastic, there'd be no more sin in the world, and God's done all His thing, you know, at the end, and He's come back, second coming, everything. There'll still be worship. There will always be worship. Worship is the central. Thing. There's always been a calling for it. So before you're a doctor or an engineer or a teacher or a mum and dad or a student or whatever, first and foremost, before you're any of those things, first and foremost, you are a worshipper. That is your main role. And the issue has, all the way through Scripture, has always been worship. Adam and Eve in the gar- lost the garden because of an issue of worship. Cain killed Abel over an issue of... Of worship. Lucifer or Satan was kicked out of heaven over an issue of worship. Abraham took Isaac to the altar over an issue of worship. Israel built a golden calf because they hadn't settled the issue of worship. All the way through scripture, we see it time and time again. And so you can't push worship aside, you can't opt out of it. It's not optional. Worship is not a spiritual tire. Worship is the central issue of your life and the central issue of the church. And if the issue of worship is not settled, then everything else in your life falls apart. God has determined that he wants to dwell among his people That's why he says in Scripture, where two or three are gathered, I am in the midst. Or when we worship him, him, the Bible says that he comes and he builds his home, his habitation in the midst of worship. God's determined that he wants to dwell among his people and we are the people of God because he dwells amongst us. We're not the people of God because we enjoy the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence means that God's presence is everywhere. It means that he, he can be in all places at all the same time for everybody. We are not the people of God because we enjoy the omnipresence of God because all of creation enjoys the omnipresence of God. We are the people of God because we enjoy the Shekinah presence of God which is his manifest presence that is localized and tangible right here, right now. We are the people of God because when we come together to worship, the Shekinah presence manifests itself and makes it tangible in our very location. God is everywhere, but the Shekinah presence of God is not everywhere. It is where he is worshiped. It is where he is honoured. And so God wanted to dwell with his people. And so he told Moses that he wanted him to build him a tent of meeting. This is a little bit of, just putting put a background in there for you so that you understand the importance of what I'm about to say. So God wanted to dwell with his people and he told Moses to build a tent of meeting because he wanted to meet with Moses in the tent. He wanted to come and bring his Shekinah presence his manifest presence and meet with Moses. And, and, and you'll see if you read through the, uh, the story of Moses, you'll see quite often he went into the tent of meeting and him and God talked face to face. And then Moses was told that you need to build a box. We call it the Ark of the Covenant. But he said you've got to build a box for my presence to reside in. And so it had to be a box made of wood. It was covered in gold on the inside and on the outside. And then he got told to put some things inside the box. Um, the first thing he had to put in there was Aaron's rod that butted. This speaks of God's authority. A golden pot of manna, that is the bread that God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. This speaks of God's provision. And the stone tablets, all the Ten Commandments. And this speaks of God's law. And we see here three things, God's authority, God's provision, and God's law. The very three things that all of humanity rebels against, his authority, his provision, and his laws. Are you hearing me? And then he said, I want you to build over the top of that the mercy seat. Because the mercy protects us and saves us. The mercy of God protects us and saves us from God's laws destroying us. But he put the very three things in there that man constantly rebels against, and he put a lid on it, and there's two angels facing each other, and in the middle of it was the mercy seat. And he goes, when, when you come to the tent with the box, I'll meet with you there. When you come to this tent, I'll, I'll meet with you there. Okay, Moses, you got it? And so God took his omnipresence, his ability to be everywhere, and he located it specifically and tangibly in the box. The Shekinah presence. God also instructed Moses to put rings on the box so it could be carried. God wanted Moses to understand that God is a God who moves. God is not a God who stays still. God is a God who moves. We find this uncomfortable because Sometimes we feel like God takes us to a particular place or a particular season in our lives and, and just when we start to get comfortable with that and okay with that, God decides, well, we're moving. Right. And then we have to pack everything up and move and none of us like change, no matter what you say. None of us like change. We all like structure, we all like things. And, and so he would say, when he moves, the priests need to take their staffs, put them through the rings of the box, pick it up and start walking and follow me. God is a God who moves. And when he says, follow me, it's because he's going somewhere. Hence why Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come and hang around me, but follow me because God is always a God that moves. God is never stationary. God is always moving. So you have to build into your theology or your understanding of God that God is a transitional God. He's constantly moving. If God only blessed you and me where we are, we would, we would quit pursuing him. If we just got to this one point and we just stayed here and we got blessed in this one place, we would stop pursuing God because we would. Well, why would we move from this place of blessing? Are you hearing me? And so sometimes what God does is God actually stops blessing you in one place to get you to move to the next place. Oh, why has God abandoned me? He hasn't abandoned you. He's just moved and you're still stuck. You want to stay in this place. And God's, no, no, I'm taking you to a new place. Oh, but I really like the blessings here. Yeah, but you're really going to like the blessings there. And so the problem for us in following God is that we have to let go of the old to embrace the new. And when we finally let go of that place of blessing that we wanted to stay in and we move into the new place of blessing, we discover that the blessings here are way better than the blessings there. And the reason why God does that is because it makes us pursue Him. It makes us constantly to go after Him. It stops us from being comfortable in our one place, but we're constantly moving on. Why? Because the new place is always better than the old place. The new season that God takes you into is always better than the old season. And it became the responsibility of Aaron and the priests and his four sons to keep their eyes on the cloud by day, which God used to bring, and, 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 and the fire by night. Could you imagine having to do that all the time? I mean, during the day, it's not so bad, right? the cloud starts moving, it's daytime. And so they would pack everything up. They'd pack up all their, all their tents, all their house, all the stuff. They'd pack it all up, and they would follow the cloud to its next spot. My issue would have been the two o'clock in the morning moves. Is anybody with me on that one? You're like the fire starts moving at 2am in the morning and you get a knock on your tent, right, time to move. Oh, no. Can you imagine packing up your whole entire, you know, all your livelihood every time God moved? You, you, would, you would not get comfortable with where you're at, right? You would, you would have it all panned out. You certainly wouldn't be unpacking your suitcase. You'd be keeping all your clothes in it because there's no point unpacking because we're gonna be moving shortly, right? And so their job was to keep an eye on him. And as soon as the fire moved or as soon as the cloud moved, as soon as God moved, they were to pick up the box and start following God. And the whole entire nation would have to pick up everything that they had and they would start following him too. And they didn't just walk any old way, you know, like it wasn't just like they grabbed their stuff and they just walked. No, no, God, God issued them a pattern or an instruction of how they were meant to walk, how they were meant to move with him. And so what he said to them is this, is that Judah goes first. The tribe of Judah goes first. The reason why the tribe of Judah goes first is because Judah represents praise and praise always goes first. That's why you enter into his place with thanksgiving and praise in your heart. Yeah? And then Dan is the last tribe. I don't know why Dan's the last tribe. Maybe, I don't know, maybe their deodorant wasn't very good or something. I don't know why they were last. But Judah would go first, Dan would go last, and then there's tribes on the east side and tribes on the west side. So there's tribes out here, there's tribes to the east and the west, and then there's tribes behind. That's how they would move through the desert. I think it's interesting that if you look down on them moving from the sky, you would see a shape of the cross as they moved. And when they would stop at the place that the fire stopped or the cloud stopped or that God stopped, the very first thing they do is they'd put down the box and build the tent of meeting. Before they did anything of their own houses, before they did anything of their own stuff, the first thing that they would do is they put down the box and they build the tent of meeting around it. And they put down the box first because they were to locate their houses around the box. The same way they moved through the desert was the same way that they were to put their houses around the box. So there's always a shape of the cross. When they are moving, when they stop, there's always a shape of the cross. And the way the camp was set up was that the box was to be in the middle of the camp. So what is God trying to teach us in all of this? He's trying to teach us this, is that it doesn't matter what you do or where you go, God is always to be at the centre of everything you do and everywhere you go. No matter where they went, whether it be night or day, God was always to be at the centre of everything they do and everywhere they go, and it's the same lesson for us today, that God has always to be at the centre. He is saying, I won't be pushed to one side, I am to be at the center of everything that happens. Whether you be moving or whether you be stopped, I must be at the center. It's interesting that when you look back through history all over the world, and if you've been to Europe, I haven't, I have, but I haven't really seen much of Europe. But if you've been to these places, you'll see that in most of these places, like places like Cologne and Germany and different places around the world, that where the the cathedrals are built was always the centre point of the town. Why? Because the church is meant to be the central point of everything. Because that's where worship is. God is always intended to be at the centre of everything. And the crazy thing is, I'm getting somewhere with this, stick with me. The crazy thing is, is that all the other countries around Israel all thought that they were really weird and really strange because all those other countries had kings or they had governments or they had officials. They had like a legal structure about how the country operated, Um, but all Israel had was just this box. And, And Israel centred everything that they did around this box that housed the Shekinah presence of God. Every other country had a leader or a king or a government or all these legal processes to work out how their country worked and how the people were meant to behave and all the other countries around the around Israel thought it was really really weird that they had no king they had no government they had no legal structures they just had this box and everything that they did evolved around the box evolved around the shechina presence of god <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what God intends for us to do today. It was weird to them. And even though the countries around them didn't understand why this, they did this, they, they respected the box. And, and the reason why they respected the box is because whenever they messed with Israel, the thing that was in the box would come out of the box and mess them up. beat them up, it would part seas, it would do all sorts of things. And, and these people just, these other countries, these other nations just couldn't figure out what was this thing around the box. But they understood this, the best thing we can do is just leave it alone. <laughs> because every time we mess with it, it becomes a problem for us. The skies open up, the earth opens up, Red Seas open up. Something is going on with the people and this box, but let's just... Let's just try and steer clear of the box. They didn't understand it, but they respected it. So Israel decided, though, as they went along, if you've read the Old Testament, you'd understand that at some stage, Israel decides that they need a king just like all the other countries around them. And so they asked for a king. God didn't want to give him a king, but he caved into their whining and whinging. And they appointed Saul as king, and Saul becomes king, And then all of a sudden, we see that they stopped inquiring of the Lord. The box just got put somewhere, and now they inquired of the king rather than inquiring of the Lord. At the time that this all happened, the priest that was responsible to keep the fire on and keep the light on wherever the box was and keep the candles burning and all that sort of stuff, the guy who was responsible for that was a guy called Eli. Eli was the priest who was responsible for that, but the Bible says that Eli was getting old, he was blind, and he was overweight. I got two out of three, so I'm not too bad. I'm old, I'm blind. (laughs) And so Eli was old, he was blind, And he's overweight. I think it's really weird that this this box that was so important that housed the Shekinah presence of God, they put the responsibility of it into the hands of an old, blind, and overweight man. Eli, Eli, The overweightness of Eli speaks of the self-indulgent church, a church that just consumes everything and becomes fat and loses its vision of what God intended for it. When Eli loses his vision, the Bible says that he falls backward and breaks his neck. This speaks of a disconnection from headship that when the church becomes self-indulgent and become, loses its vision and becomes fat, it disconnects itself from the headship of Christ. When we become, when we forget that our prime purpose is to worship and we become self-indulgent and we make it all about us, And we disconnect from the vision of that we're here to worship. We disconnect from the headship of Christ. And now we're no longer under his authority, but we're trying to do it in our own abilities. People that are always talking about going back to how it used to be are people that have no vision for the future. So the only option is to fall backward. But we don't want to be a backwards church, right? We want to be a church that always pushes forward. Proverbs 8 uh, four verse 18 says this, "But the path of the just is like a shining light. It grows in brilliance until the perfect day. I love that, because you know what it says to me is that God never starts something big and finishes it small. God always starts something small and finishes it big. God always starts with seed and ends with a harvest. Are you hearing me? God never does anything for us to go back to because the harvest is the thing that we head towards. God doesn't start something big and then take it small. He starts something small and He takes it big. He's always moving forward. He starts with a seed and He ends with a harvest. And in the book of Acts, the early church in its infancy is a seed. And so we have to become a church that moves from seed time or infancy to a church of maturity. The church today should be doing more than the church of the book of Acts. We should always be moving forward. In fact, we are still writing the book of Acts on what we're doing today. But we should always be starting from its infancy and taking the church forward into its maturity. We are not called to diminish the church. We are called to expand the church, to reach further, reach higher, do more. We are to supersede the work of the book of Acts and take it beyond because the book of Acts is the church in seed form and we're meant to be living in the church in harvest. We must not tell ourselves what other people have done we cannot do because we can. In fact, the Bible says this, that you shall do great exploits for your God. And so Eli was responsible here to keep the fire burning and the light on. And then all of a sudden, the Philistines come along under the cover of darkness and they steal the box. They take the Ark of the Covenant because they realize how powerful and how important the Ark of the Covenant is to the Israelites. And every time they try to destroy the Israelites, they get destroyed because of the Shekinah presence of God. And so they decide that they're going to steal it and take it to their camp because they figured that if Israel doesn't have this, then Israel was hopeless because they realised that as long as Israel had the box, they would not be able to deal with them and defeat them. I think it's interesting that the enemy understands our strength better than we do. I think it's interesting that the enemy understood that the box was the strength of Israel But Israel had so got so consumed with Saul being king that they left a old blind fat man to look after what was the key. You have to ask yourself if you have a box like that, why is there not people guarding it? Why isn't that the most precious thing in the camp? Why isn't that the thing that they're keeping? If that is where their strength is, why do they have someone watching it who has no vision? You see, our strength is not in what we have accumulated. It's not in our order of service. It's not in the stuff that we have in the building. It's not all the good gear that we have. It's not all the stuff that you've got. Our strength is in the fact that we have the presence of God in the midst of us. And if we worship him, he will show up because he promises that I will inhabit the praises of my people, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. In the midst, our strength is not our music team. I love our music team. Our strength isn't all the stuff Our strength is not me or the other leaders in the church. Our strength is the fact that when we come together and we worship Him, that God turns up in the middle of that and brings all of His Shekinah glory and all of His power and all of His presence and all that He is, all of His salvation and His mercy and His grace rocks up in the middle of worship. That's where our strength is. And that's why the issue of worship is so important. In everything we do, we need to make sure we're not so focused on getting people into the building that we forget to get God into the building. Sometimes we can be so outreaching that we forget to be upreaching. And we forget that He's the centre of it all. That he's central to everything. And, And I love all of you. I really do. And I miss you hugely when you're not here on a Sunday. But if I'm honest with you, the reality is if you don't show up, it doesn't really mean that much. But if God doesn't show up, if you don't show up, it doesn't really mean that much. But if, God, if I don't show up, it doesn't really mean that much. But if God doesn't show up, the sick don't get healed. The lost don't get saved. The demonic oppressed are not set free. When God doesn't show up, provision isn't provided. The authority of God doesn't act on our behalf. Come on, when God doesn't turn up, people suffer. If I don't turn up, you'll be okay. But if God doesn't turn up this morning, we're in trouble. The issue is worship. And so the Philistines take the box and when David becomes king, he calls a conference and he says, hey guys, um, I think it's time we got the box back. I think it's time we got the worship back. I believe we need to be a generation that gets the box back. That we get the box back into the church a generation that says, I'm going to get the box back into my church. I'm gonna get the box back into my family. I'm gonna get the box back into my workplace. I'm gonna get the box back into my school. I'm gonna get the box back into the community. It's time we took the box back. It's time we took the Shekinah presence of God back. And so the, the box was at Abinai's place. And so they go to get it. And they put it on a cart, pulled by an ox, and the ox stumbles, and Uzzah puts his hand to save the box from falling. Do you know that the word Uzzah in the Hebrew means human strength? He touches it, and he dies on the threshing floor because he's trying, he's trying to reach out and secure the presence in his own human ability. And the Bible says because of that, David was really afraid of the Lord that day. and So David actually finally asked the right question. Like, we know that he's talked to everybody, right? I mean, it says that he talked to hundreds and thousands of people, all his, all his generals, all the leaders, all the, like he had, like, talk about consultation process of what we should do about getting the box back But you know the one thing he never asked. He never asked God. He asked everybody else. But David finally asked the right question, where he's like, "How does God want us to do this? Or how can I bring the Ark of God to me?" He finally actually asked the question about how should this be done. Because here's the thing, worship is not about the way that you want it done, it's the way that God wants it done. Oh, I'm not really a lift my hands kind of person. That's nice. But the Bible says that the lifting of hands is like the evening sacrifices. That's what God wants. God wants lifting of hands. That's how we work. I don't feel comfortable with that. That's cool. I appreciate that you don't feel comfortable with that and I say this with all the love of God in my heart, um, but God doesn't care what you want or how you want to worship him. He's God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so he gets worship how he wants it, not how you want it. I hate, I like things certain ways too, don't get me wrong. Honestly, like, you guys just think I just must love everything that we do, but I don't always like everything we do. Like, sometimes I turn up to youth nights and they're doing their praise and worship and I'm just like, I don't like this. Rima and I, this week, we had an old school hoedown worship session in the office. Madison was rolling her eyes. I started singing things, through our God we shall do valiantly. Anybody anybody with me? Anybody got this? (sighs) Am I the only one? I can't be the person that's the oldest one here when it comes to this stuff, right? How about, set free to worship I'm set free. Don't leave me hanging. (laughs) Or one of my favourite songs of all time. Great is thy faithfulness. Surely, you know, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning. new mercies I... I, want that sung at my funeral, by the way. <laughs> it's a great song, you yeah, know, because it's morning by morning new mercies I see, you know that, that scripture, it re, it relates to a scripture that says that his mercies are new every morning, what that, what that scripture literally means when you look at it in the Hebrew is it, is it means that his mercies every day are completely different and unique. It's, it's it, They use the example of a snowflake. Every single snowflake is completely different than any other snowflake that's ever been. But then when the snowflake hits your hand, it melts. And what he's saying is that my mercy for you is not a hangover mercy from the day. It's not leftover mercy. It's not carryover mercy. I give you brand new mercy every single day of your life and it's nothing like any other mercies you've received all the days before and it'll be nothing like all the other mercies you'll see the day after. It's just They're new, brand new, speaking new every single day. It's awesome. That's why I love that song so much. I know we like things a certain way, but the question we should be asking when we come here is not how do I want it, but how does God want it? How does God want it? How shall we bring the ark of God in? How shall we bring the ark of God into our family, into our workplace, into our school, into our community, into our church? How does God want to be worshipped? It's not about what I want, if I can just get Maddie on the keys. But how shall I bring the ark of God to me? How do I bring that presence? Remember I said to you, this is a two-part series. This is just the first part. How these are the questions I ask myself as, as, as leading the church. How can I get God into our building on a Sunday? How can I get God into my home? How can I get God into my marriage? How can I get God into my workplace? How can I get God into my school? How can I get God into my finances? Well, one real quick way of getting God into your finances is by giving. (laughs) How can I get God into our community? If I could sum up this whole message into one sentence, it's how the question we need to ask ourselves this week is, How does God want to be worshipped? How? Tomorrow morning when you get up and you're eating your breakfast, some of you it might be bacon and eggs because God really loves you. Others of you it might be muesli because God doesn't love you so much. (laughs) Or worse still, it could be that acacia seeds and... (laughs) or if you're really loved by God it'll be Vogels with butter and avocado on it can't beat Vogels but while you're having breakfast or while you're having your coffee or while you're having your cup of tea or whatever it is that you're doing I wonder how often we ask ourselves first thing in the morning, how, how, how does God wanna be worshipped today at work? How does God wanna be worshipped today in my family? How does God wanna be worshipped today in my marriage? How does God wanna be worshipped today in my parenting? How does God wanna be worshipped today in my finances? How does God want me to bring the Ark in to my entire life? How does God want me to bring the Shekinah presence, the manifest presence of God to be the central thing that I build my whole entire life around? That every decision I make, whether it be parenting, whether it be financial, whether it be my marriage, whether it be my career, whether it be purchasing a house, whatever it is, how do I make sure that every decision I make goes through the centre of worship? How do I camp my life around the tent of meeting, around the box, around His presence? We'll talk next week about what the box is. I'm gonna share next week about why God killed that guy when He reached out and touched it. It's going It will help you hugely, but I want you to just spend this week going, okay, God, every morning, how do you want to be worshipped today? How do you want to be worshipped? Because worship, yes, it's singing and lifting your hands, but it's so much more than that. It's making Him the centre and making sure that all your decision processes go through Him. He's the centre. He's the centre. He's the centre. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know what's going on in your life necessarily. I don't know what has been. I don't know what decisions you're trying to make right now. I I sense there are some people in this room that are trying to make some really, really important decisions right now about their life. And I wanna encourage you this week to, to try and make your decisions that you need to make through Jesus. Let, let that be the center. Process everything through what he said. What does his word say? What is, what, is, what is he saying to me right now? What is he asking me to do? Speak to me, Lord.